beautiful tribute to your mom, Bob, Miss Bobby. What a blessing. Well, if you get your Bibles out and open to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, you'll find that on page 1340 in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you do not have a copy of Scripture, you can just grab that Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Open to page 1340, you'll find Galatians 4. We've been studying through the book of Galatians, and uh, we have been seeing how uh, this uh, wonderful place in Scripture uh, is so uh, just powerfully used by God to teach us about His grace and to teach us about our, our need to cling to His grace and to protect the purity of the gospel and the simplicity of what God has uh, told us in the gospel. And so essentially what we've learned in the first three chapters is that uh, this wonderful place, Galatia, Paul's gone and, and planted a church there. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's devoted uh, a portion of his life and his energy and sharing the gospel with people who were once outside of uh, the opportunity to have uh, a relationship with the God of Scripture. They're not Jews, and so God is now bringing the gospel by providence of God out into all the areas of the earth. And so he goes into Galatia and these, uh, the people there were just completely transformed by the power of the grace of God and the reality that they could, through the Lord Jesus Christ, they could know God and they could be forgiven by God and they could have the peace of God in their lives. And it was just a, a wonderful experience. But then after Paul moved on to go and to continue on his uh, journey planting churches, some false teachers moved into the area and began to teach a false gospel, began to uh, dilute everything that Paul had taught and try to bring the uh, people back under the law and get them to uh, conform to all the regulations of Judaism and the, the, the laws of the Old Testament and so on and so forth. And so we've been listening as Paul has struggled back and forth. And he's been up until this point very firm and very forthright with the, uh, the church at Galatia. It's been very painful for him and frustrating to see what's going on. And now this morning, uh, we'll look at a, a little bit of a different side of Paul as he uh, begins to address the personal nature of uh, what he's enduring as he's uh, watching these people turn away from the loving grace of God. So let's begin reading in Galatians 4 in verse 17. Just a few verses this morning, Galatians 4 verse 17 the Apostle Paul, speaking about the Judaizers, those false teachers that have infiltrated the church, he says about them that they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous and a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now. And to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we recognize that just in a few sentences, God, you can say things that can utterly change our life. And Father, we ask now that your perfect and errant word would have its place before us, God. And that it would do its perfect work within us. And so, Lord, we ask that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might think to yourself, well, okay, where are we going with this passage of Scripture in Mother's Day? Well, as Mother's Day began approaching, uh, you know, I knew what was ahead for us in Galatians. So I began wrestling with this passage of Scripture and with regards to Mother's Day and how it can uh, be so powerful and impactful in our lives. And really, uh, I just want to point a few things out to you before we begin to take this passage apart. First of all, I want you to, to notice that whenever Scripture is talking about the love of God, 
the scripture because the love of God is so broad and so vast and has so many facets. It's like a, a beautiful gem that every time you turn it and look at it from a different angle, it sparkles in a new and, and different way. Well, the love of God is very much like that. And so the scripture uses all of these various ways, illustrations and metaphors for us to understand the love of God. But what I notice in scripture is that when the Bible wants to illustrate a strong, unbreakable love that has a compassionate side, the scripture always uses a mother to illustrate that. For example, when God is speaking to his uh, people, the remnant in Isaiah 66, verse 13, he says this. He says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, he says to his people, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Now, over the same city, Jesus says to a group of uh, people who've rejected him and the love that he came to bring in, in Matthew chapter 23, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing. And what I want you to simply see is that throughout Scripture, all over Scripture, especially in the prophets, God uses this metaphor of the, the love of a mother to illustrate a, a, a special facet of the love of God. And so as God is loving this remnant in the Old Testament or God's uh, through the lips of his son, Jesus, looking over Jerusalem as he's about to go to his death, he uses the love of a mother. And that's exactly the picture that Paul is going to bring before us this morning in Galatians 4 to illustrate the love that he has for these people, this church at Galatia. You see, Paul has endured great labor pains, to put in his words, with this in the planting and the birth of this church as he taught them the gospel. It couldn't have been easy to go into this new place, to go to a, a group of people, none of whom were familiar with anything that he was teaching. And as he began to lay out the good news of Jesus before them, it was... Uh, it was an arduous task. It was hard. They, they, were, they, they weren't accustomed to this. They, it took a lot of uh, teaching and a lot of time and energy and effort and prayer. And as the gospel began to take birth in them and God began to transform them, uh, Paul really felt this motherly love towards them. But now he, he feels as if he's experiencing the, the pains of labor all over again because they're struggling and they've gone astray and they're listening to false teachers. You know, if a mom had to endure labor twice for the same child, I'm not sure what that would do to our population. I'm not sure what that would do to our marriages. Uh, I know that uh, really not a week goes by around here where Either someone is uh, in our faith family is giving birth or someone connected to someone in our faith family is, is having a child. And, and so I spent a lot of time in, in uh, delivery rooms and in waiting rooms while mom is, is delivering the baby. And, and I always, uh, whenever I get the chance to, to caution a, a, a new father, a young husband... You know, it's it's always interesting to me which husbands, some husbands are very, uh, you know, I go in, they're very gung-ho about, they're going to be in there and they've gone through the Lamaze class and they've, they've got everything and they're ready to go and they're so super excited about it and they're telling me all about it. And I'm like, so it's your first one, huh? <laughs> yeah, how do you know? Just a hunch. What you don't know, friend, is that in a few minutes, all that breathe stuff is going out the window. Out. You start talking about, honey, just breathe, and you might lose a limb. you got to be very careful about what you say when mom is in labor. And the other thing is you don't just stroll in to, uh, you know, when, when I get to come in after all that's done, praise the Lord, and then there's the, the, this new little gift of life in the room. You know, 
there's certain things that are just completely off limits in that moment. Like, you don't say, so, will y'all be having more children? That's not the time for that. You got to wait a year or so before you bring that up. (laughs) Because of what she's just been through. And so, Paul here is using the illustration of a mother that has to... Uh, go through labor again with the same child. You see, the first time that he, he labored with them, it was in evangelizing them. But now he's laboring with them all over again because they've reverted back and, and Christ has not been formed in them the way that he had hoped that God would. And so Paul is saying to the Galatians, he's saying, you make me feel like a mother who's had to deliver you twice. And you see, that's a... What Paul says in this short passage is really such an accurate picture of the love of a mother in so many ways. Because isn't it true that mothers seem to always be willing to do whatever it takes to to see their children through? I know that moms are are seem to be the the ones who are far more gifted at long suffering than Dads seem to be and mothers seem to innately understand that their job is somehow never completed, that they never they never are not a mom, that that they're never not concerned for the welfare of their children. And so let's look at this passage of Scripture and let's see some of these things uh, bear out as we look at it. First, I want us to look at the motive. The motive. Let's look at the motive behind everything that Paul's saying. In verse 17, Paul begins by giving us the motive of the false teachers that are there, the Judaizers. He says, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. You see, Paul is exposing the motives of these false teachers as being of no good, of of poor intent. The, the Judaizers uh, they want the Galatian people to be very zealous and to be very excited about about them and about their and about what they're teaching and and they want them to forget all about Paul and everything that Paul has taught them in the gospel and so they're they're confusing them and bewitching them and misleading them and and Paul uses language that that is similar to the language of a, of a young man courting or or wooing a young lady trying to win her over. When he uses those words for for no good purpose, uh, he he means that what's being done is not being done in an honorable way. It's with evil intent. It's with selfish motivation, and it's for their own ends. And so these false teachers they come in, and they act like they really care. And I mean, you you can you can think in your own uh, uh, frame of reference. You can think in your own e- experience of of times and places where maybe somebody that you loved and cared very deeply about was being uh, misled or deceived. And and it, it was a very straining thing upon your heart. I mean, it's very hard to know that someone that you care so deeply about, especially someone that you've poured so much of your life into, is now going astray and, and, and being uh, just convinced of things that clearly aren't true. But this is the this is the problem that Paul is facing, and he realizes that their goal is to alienate him from, to alienate them from him and from his co-laborers. You know, many times, what moms face is that that there are there are places, there are people, there are things in this world that seek to alienate your children from you. They seek to draw them away from you, and they seek to uh, convince them of. Uh, that, that things that aren't true are true and they seek to, to move them in a direction that's, that sort of is breaking that communication. And so over the years of ministry, I have so many times been in circumstances and situations with a heartbroken mother who was struggling just to communicate with her loved ones because they've been bewitched, they've been misled and it's just built up in their own mind. And, and one of the, the sure signs of, of, of evil and deception is when there's uh, an unwillingness to sit and talk and let the truth bear itself out. 
You see, when I get involved in a situation, the first thing I want to do is I want to try to bring about communication. I want to sit down and I want to have a conversation. I want to open the Bible and I want to talk about everything. But when there's a refusal to talk, it's always a clear indication that there's something evil awry. You see, these Galatian believers, they've been, they've been courted, they've been seduced, they've been bewitched by these false teachers. And now their affection is, is turned away from Paul and what Paul has taught them towards these Judaizers. And it's left Paul in this very sort of heartbroken, devastating situation. Well, that's the motivation of the Judaizers is to bring separation and deceit. But what's the motivation of Paul? Well, look at verse 18. Paul first lays out their motivation and then he lays out his motivation. Paul, he's going to communicate the zeal in pursuing someone for the gospel and for the glory of God is really a, 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 an, a part of love that cannot be shaken or cannot be removed from the equation. In verse 18, he says, but it's good to be zealous in a, in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you. You see, Paul, he, he doesn't, he doesn't tell them that, that he's jealous or that he's upset or frustrated because they've replaced him with something better. That's really not what's going on here. Paul is left and he's no longer there. And Paul's concern is for them. It's not for himself. It's for them and it's for the glory of God and the work that God has begun to be completed in them. And so Paul, in his absence, though physically absent, his heart is still firmly rooted amongst these people. Now, again, you see this this motherly love in the sense that uh, you don't have to be in physical proximity. You see, a mom, a mom is 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 just as engaged with her children or her loved ones with when they're deployed and off overseas or when they live, you know, five states away or in another country or whatever the case may be. A mom is always connected there all the time. And, you know, I was thinking about this facet of motherhood and I was thinking about how over the years of all of the uh, myriad of times that I've led teams on mission trips all over the world and there'll be these moments where we'll sort of come back into a a place where there might be an opportunity to pick up the phone maybe for the first time in a a week and and call home and, and check with home. And so invariably this the the group the team that i'm leading they will get on the phone and they will talk to mom they'll connect with mom and it's not that that dad doesn't care it's not that dad's not part of the equation it's just that mom is uh usually the one that's most Concerned. Mom is the one that's usually uh, first and foremost on the minds of the team members to connect with to make sure that mom knows that everything is is okay and fine and well. And so Paul is not letting distance separate his love for these people. You know, he realizes that zeal is a necessary part of the Christian life, that you've got to be zealous for, for the Lord and that part of living for the glory of God is to have zeal for the things of God. And, you know, Paul's whole life is devoted to having zeal for the things that God has zeal for, that, that his life is going to matter because he's devoted it to the things that God says, these are the preeminent things that you should spend your life doing. Paul's whole life was about accomplishing the Great Commission. It was about accomplishing that which God had said time and time and time again. Here are your marching orders as the people of God. You know, the the Great Commission is in uh, every gospel. It's in multiple places in Scripture, New Testament and Old. All in different ways, all communicating to us the same mission statement. We know in Matthew 28, the scripture says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, we see the great commission go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. In John chapter 20, Jesus said, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In Acts, 
chapter 1, verse 8, the Scripture says that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we'll be witnesses to Him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what our passion is as believers, what Paul's zeal is, and what Paul's desire that the, the believers in Galatia would be zealous about is the same thing the Scripture talks about in Psalm 96, verse 3. Declare His glory among the nations and His wonders among all peoples. You know, uh, that's, the, that's our desire for our children. That's a, a, a mom's desire for those whom she's able to influence is that they would bring glory and honor to God. And the, and the, the purity of that, that heart, that, that mandate that we have, we, we don't need to wonder, well, why are we here? Well, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, what is all of this about? And we shouldn't be surprised that when we endeavor to accomplish the task that God has called us to, that so oftentimes that will be the singular place that attacks come. That you're going to be attacked when you uh, uh, raise your children for the glory of God. That you're going to be seen as, as uh, ridiculous when you hope that they will give their lives to the furtherance of the gospel. That as a church body, we've certainly seen no uh, uh, slack with regards to just the, the pressure and the, the criticism that we often take for being so devoted to accomplishing the mission. Why is that? Because, of course, that's what the enemy does not want to see happen. He doesn't want to see any mother in this room succeed in raising a child for the glory of God. And he certainly doesn't want to see any group or any church succeed in raising disciples for the glory of God. And so the motives are clear. Those of the false teachers are to separate and deceive. And then those of Paul is to simply see Christ form, to see the gospel played out in their life, to see them Grow up in the Lord for the glory of God. So that's the motives. Now let's look at the metaphor. It'll become a little more personal here. In verse 19, Paul says this. My little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now I want you to just think about the, the language that Paul uses here. As much as all of this must hurt Paul. As much as he must be struggling within himself to, to, to reconcile what's going on, it doesn't change his zeal for them. He doesn't back up from them. He still loves them like a mother with a primary goal before him. You know, the, the, the Greek word here for little child, it's a word used to describe a small child. It's, it's not a, it's not a teenager. You know, uh, it could be a teenager, but it's not this. I was reminded this week of uh, Mark Twain has this great quote for parents about raising teenagers. He says, when you're raising a teenager, when they're 13, put them in a barrel, nail the lid shut and feed them through a knot hole. And when they're 16, plug the knot hole. And that Mark Twain, now he's something. I don't even think that's politically correct, but it's funny. <laughs> Amen. So we see this metaphor that he still loves him like a little child. He uses this word to, to communicate the special affection that a mom has for a, a small child. This, it's a term of endearment. And believe me, Paul doesn't just use language or words. The scripture doesn't just have words in it that are sort of just willy-nilly grabbed out of the sky. I mean, Paul is using this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God puts this word before us strategically this morning because it, it, it fits in multiple aspects. I mean, on one hand, and the Bible is expressing Paul's love and concern for this group of people, just like a mother. But on the other hand, Paul's also using this word to express the fact that they're acting like little children. That they've reverted back. That they're, what they're doing doesn't make any sense. And that they're being infantile in their thinking and in their ways. And so he uses this imagery through the metaphor of labor to drive this point home. That, my goodness, it would be... Utterly and completely unnatural, uh, unnatural for, uh, for someone to say, I, I labor again. 
for the same child. And, and he uses labor pains to, to show you he's hurting. Paul is hurting. I mean, we, we, can, make, we can make light of, of, uh, of you know, the, the situations and the scenarios that, that play out in, in labor and delivery. But at the end of the day, we all know that it's a, it's a real painful experience. And Paul is using this imagery to show that his heart is broken. It's broken because he loves this church so deeply. And you see, again, I think that this metaphor also drives home the point that there's a there's a certain brokenness in the heart of a mom whose children have gone astray. That it's just different. And I and we know that we know that look in a in a in a mom's eye. I certainly know that that sound in a mom's voice when her heart is just broken for her children who have gone astray. And that more than anything, it's not her agenda that she wants. She just wants them to be right for the glory of God. And that's exactly the picture you see here. Look at what he says at the end of verse 19. For what is all this brokenness over until Christ is formed in you? You see that? Do you see what Paul's agenda here is? He wants to see God formed in them. It's not about him. It's about the Lord. He, he uses this word that's translated formed. It means to, to, be, to take on the form, but it, it's not just the outward, but it's the inward essence of. That he, he wants them to not just look like the form of Christ, but to be to be inwardly transformed and to be Christ-like from the inside out. It's not physically looking that way, but it's, it's internally, spiritually being like Christ. See, biblically, we would call this process progressive sanctification. It's just the, the process of the believer becoming more and more like Christ as they grow. And so that's Paul's desire, is that these new believers would become like Christ and would would not be sidetracked by the nonsense of this uh, legalism as opposed to the grace that he shared with them. And so in his pain, he's sharing from his heart. He's saying it's like labor to watch you suffer. And, you know, I've really never thought about this before, about, you know, until this week, I just thought about how many times I started thinking of all the times in my own life that I've, I've, I've watched moms and it was as if they were going through labor again in the, in the pain and the suffering that they were enduring because of what was going on with their children. And you see, it's, it's true that as someone goes through the process of sanctification, that as someone uh, walks along the journey of life with Christ, that all of the ups and downs, you, 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 in, you, you don't go on this roller coaster journey alone, that you take with you everyone who loves you and everyone who takes responsibility for shepherding you. And so that's what oftentimes uh, brings such a great challenge into our lives is that, you know, we're we're experiencing along with so many other people all the ups and downs all at the same time of the people that we we love so deeply and we care so much about you know i think most moms would agree that in being a mom isn't it true that what's encompasses both your greatest and highest joys but also your deepest and darkest lows that that the 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 Fondest memories and yet the most painful memories can all be wrapped up in just being a mom. Because that's how hard it is and that's how hard life is. I mean, to be a mom is, is certainly not just to give birth. I mean, really, once you, once you go through the pain of labor, that's not the end. It's just the beginning. And so with every young mom and their first child, there's always that look in their eyes of bewilderment, like, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what to do. I mean, all of you young moms in this room, you, you know that, that, that 
that sense of just inadequacy and just not being prepared. And, you know, I, I just remember with Lisa and I that the, the moment it really hit me was when we were, the doctor came in and said, okay, you can take Kayla home. And I just sort of stood there and said, well, what do you mean? You know, you can, you, you can, we're going to discharge, you know, you can take her home now. Home? Like I hadn't even got, I had to get my head around home, home, like put her in the car and figure that out. And, you know, I'm driving like 15 miles an hour all the way home because, it's, you know, it's the first time I've ever been in a moving vehicle with my child and all these things just, but, you know, what does a young mom in that moment want? She wants her mom. That's what she wants. And some of you, your mom was there. Some of you, your mom wasn't. And then someone else had to be mom for you. Someone was there. Maybe it was your mother-in-law. Maybe it was someone else. But you don't want dad. Why? Because we just don't know. No matter how good we are, we just... You don't want us. You want mom. I mean, dads are good for a lot of things. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But that's not the moment that anybody wants mom. And so Paul uses the metaphor of the affection of a mother to drive home the reality of the pain that he feels. So we've got the motives, the metaphor, and then thirdly, the mentality. I want you to see the mentality of Paul and how it's like a mother. And how he wants to be with his children. Look at verse 20. In verse 20 he says this. He says, I would, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. That word doubts, maybe your translation says that he's perplexed about you. Paul, as a, as a spiritual mom, has, he has this overriding desire to, to deal directly with these people that he loves. He, he longs to be there. He's not there, but he wants to be there. But what it says to me first and foremost is that Paul doesn't just turn away. You know, Paul doesn't just say, well, you know, I can't believe how foolish you've been. I can't believe how how stupid you've been. I can't believe that you would do such ignorant things. And so forget you. I mean, you've made your own bed. Now you've got to sleep in it. Paul doesn't do that. You see, he's, he's long since left Galatia. And he realizes in the midst of his heartbreak and and how insane their behavior is. And yet, what is his desire? He still longs to be there with them. In other words, he's saying that my heart is like a mother's heart. My heart is is open. There's there's always a chance for you to to come and and find restoration. There's always an opportunity for healing. You see, that's why this facet of God's love is on display here in this instant. That God wants us to see something. He wants us to see the way Paul loves these people. But he wants us to see how that's illustrated by a mom. That, I mean, they don't deserve it. It's not like they, if anything, they deserve to to just be completely chastised for their behavior. And wouldn't you expect Paul to just say, well, here's the deal. What you need to do is right all the wrongs that you've done. You need to fix all the mistakes that you've made. You you need to undo all the things that you've done. And then maybe, maybe I'll be open to speak to you again. That's not what he does. He says, I long to be there with you. Because your behavior, it, it perplexes me. It causes, it it fills my, my mind with doubts. I don't... I don't understand. He, he see, he wants to change his tone. Isn't that just like a mom? A mom is, is just so hurt and so frustrated. And so a mom has to speak the truth in love and say the hard things that maybe she doesn't want to say. But she doesn't enjoy that. She doesn't like that. Paul's not relishing this opportunity he has to be coarse with these people that he loves. He wants to change his tune. And he's been very truthful and very straightforward with them in the first three chapters. But now what he does is he he's, he's being honest with them. He says, I don't want to talk to you like this. I will if I have to, but it's not my desire. I really want to be there with you. And I want to speak to you in the, in the voice that you're used to hearing me. I mean, it's just so true of mothers that they, 
They always want to be present with their children. They want to. And when they can't, it's hard. And they don't, they, they're willing to be truthful. A godly mother is. But, but harsh words, even when necessary, are not something that they cherish, that they like, that they enjoy. So Paul is, is perplexed that it really the, the word means to be at wit's end. He's just completely at a loss for their behavior. And he's, he's thinking to himself, I taught you so well. I gave you so much. I wasn't perfect. I didn't do everything the way it, it certainly could have or should have been. I'm not, I'm not the greatest at everything or maybe not at anything. But what I gave you, I gave you from my heart. And I taught you with everything that I had. And your belief, your response, your, your, what God did in you was so genuine and so real. Don't turn your back on everything that, that I've poured into you. How could you do this? And so quickly, you know, so it, it didn't take long for you to just lose sight of, of everything that God had accomplished. You know, he, he said back in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him. You notice that in Galatians, every time Paul points to the church at Galatians turning their back on the gospel, he, he never makes it personal. He never says, you're turning your back on me. He always says, you're turning your back on him, you're turning your back on Christ. You're turning your back on all that God has done. And that's what hurts him the most is that they turn their back on the Lord. So Paul, at his wit's end, he's just struggling. How in the world could these people just turn so quickly away from the Lord's teaching? You know, I... I struggle to get my heart around and my, my head around everything that Paul is, is sensing here. But, but I, I know enough of this heartbreak in my own pastoral ministry. I know enough of this heartbreak in, in watching my own wife and the mothers that I've had the privilege of doing life with for so many years here. And I, I, I struggle to say it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual, physical, Emotional anguish when your, your child is wayward or turning their back. It's, it's not just one or the other. It's like a three-dimensional pain that, that a mother carries. And for that, we, we've just got to be so thankful today for so many things. We've got to be thankful that Everything that I've said is, is to draw our attention to the reality of a, of a real and true facet of God's love for us. That He loves us in this motherly way. But then also that, that being able to see this love on display in the, in the women around us has been so comforting and so challenging and and so wonderful in our own lives in so many ways and we can we can be very grateful for that you know for the faithfulness and the and the sacrifice and the love that we've been shown by those who have loved us in a motherly way so we want to thank God for that and be grateful for that. And that's good and right and biblical. The scripture says in Proverbs 31, the charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That we should exalt the godly women in our life and we should be thankful to God for them. And we should, we should say, God, thank you for what they represent in our lives and the way that they've impacted us and and thank you for, for so many, you know, so many who, who have such heartbreak in their own situations and circumstances, yet they press on by being mother figures to, to others. You know, that's the beauty of, of the faith family, is that 
together we bring all these different facets of life together and and we bring wholeness to to brokenness. That in the places that, that I'm void, you may be strong. And in the places that I'm strong, you may be weak. And then together we, iron sharpens iron and it, and it works for good. And I'm really just, I can't let this moment pass without just saying thank you to all of you who faithfully mother week in and week out to people who aren't your children. That's the biblical picture that some of you have 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 grown children who are, are are wayward and you have a broken heart there. Some of you have have grown children who have just moved off and and so you found other places to 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 be a mom to and serving in various ministries and just raising up those who need that example in their life and what's astonishing to me is to see the young people growing up here who who don't have don't have a picture of a faithful mom in their life. And yet these young girls growing into young women and, and I've been able to see them grow up and, and I've been able to, to officiate their weddings in some cases and, and watch them now live for the glory of God as, as godly moms. How did that happen? It happened because people that God put in their life were, rose up to the calling of being a mom to them. And that's amazing and, Wonderful, and we can't overlook that. It's so important and so special. But why does Paul, and then I'm done. I just want us to say, why does Paul choose a mother here? Of all of the things that Paul could, Paul could have used a warrior and who, who would fiercely fight for the honor of this church. Paul could have used a thousand different metaphors. But why? Why a mom here? Why? I think it's to, to rightly understand that first and foremost on Mother's Day, Biblically speaking, Mother's Day is really a celebration of, this text is really a celebration of womanhood. That's really what this picture is. Let me show you why that's true. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord caused Adam to go to sleep. And in the creation of Eve... Adam wakes up and here's Eve before him. And the Bible says in Genesis 2.23 that Adam said, Well, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. And so that's all she's called. You see, her name is not Eve yet. It's just woman. And so he just, you know, he wakes up and there's a naked lady laying there and he goes, Whoa, man, and there you go. And it's a woman. There it is. Then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, in the next chapter, Adam names her. See, the Bible says in verse 20 that Adam called his wife's name Eve. And why did he call her that? Because she was the mother of all that's living. And so we find that that Eve comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 2, but it's not until Genesis chapter 3 that Adam calls her Eve. And then it's not until... Genesis chapter 4, that the Bible says, Then Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. So what I'm saying is, is that Eve comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 2, and she's just woman. Then in Genesis chapter 3, we first are introduced to her name as Eve, and that she's the mother of all that's living. But then it's the next chapter before she actually becomes a mom. And so biblically, what I want you to see is that the Bible sees womanhood. That Eve was a mother before she ever had a child. She was named Eve, and she didn't have any children. And she was the mother of all this living. Because the Bible wants us to see that 
This isn't specifically about a woman who has her own biological children. That's not what this love is about. What I want you to see this morning is that every woman, every female, every lady, every girl has been wired by God to possess this amazing, nurturing love that is unique and beautiful in all of his creation. That there is in the heart of every female this love, this nurturing capacity to love that exists in you and only you. And so whether you can't have children, don't have children, maybe have painful memories about children, whatever the case may be, I want to implore you this morning that God has created you to love and to mother those around you and to use that which He has placed within you to nurture and to encourage. That that amazing special sensitivity that you have, that patience that is beyond the men in this room's Comprehension, your ability to bring comfort. Again, I just draw illustrations from my own life. I spent a lot of time in hospitals. I spent a lot of time in hospitals. And you spend enough time in hospitals and you, you become a, a bit of an expert on bedside manner and I can tell five seconds after a doctor walks in a room. Usually I recognize them and I've heard them before. But I can tell. You know how patient and compassionate they're going to be. The nurse that's attending to the person that I see, I can tell things about them. But I can tell you that when someone walks into a room, when someone's sick and hurting and, and suffering, and they're, they're certainly not at their best, and their, their temper is short, and their words are used to, usually a little coarser than they should be, and then to see... Uh, a nurse just love and care and be patient and kind and tender and loving towards them in a very special way. And I, and I see I see male nurses do an amazing job at what they do. And I see female nurses do an amazing job at what they do. But I've noticed one thing that a, a male nurse can't do what a female nurse can do and vice versa. That they're different. They're different because God made them different. And that there's a certain role that... That you play as a woman created in the image of God. That somehow you, you always seem to remain hopeful. You always seem to see the best in us. You're always available to nurture. And you'll do whatever you have to do to protect. You're unique in the Lord. He made you that way. And thank God... For you. Thank God for moms. Thank God for the women in this place. Thank God that He never gives up on us, and nor do you. I thank God this morning that so many of you, your highest motivation is for the good of those you love. I thank God this morning that you've given us a picture of. God's love through the zeal with which you love Him and pursue Him. And I thank God for your presence in our lives as you have molded and shaped us, either directly as our mom or indirectly as a mother figure to us. Thank God for you. And thank God that the love that's within you is a picture of the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. Because if He could turn His back on us, I, for one, certainly wouldn't be standing here this morning. That maybe it's this facet of God's love that says you can't run too far. You can't, you can't do too much. That somehow His arms are always open and He's always calling us home to Him. That somehow, even in the midst of our greatest, highest, deepest rebellion, He wants to gather us like a hen gathers her chicks. And so I don't know where you are this morning.
But I do know this. I do know that God loves each and every one of you. And I know that He's calling us to Himself and that His highest calling for us is to live for His glory. And so if you don't know Him this morning as Lord and Savior, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe your mom and your grandmother have taught you everything in the world about church and you've just sort of been around it, but it's never become part of you. It's maybe today on Mother's Day. God's calling you unto Himself and He'll save you and adopt you into His glorious family and forgive all of your sin today because He loves you in, the, in a way only a mother could. Maybe, maybe you, you know God, but you've just been running from Him and you feel like maybe He's just sick of you or upset with you or angry with you. And, and what you've realized this morning is that, no, that's not true. He's saying, come home. That the door is open. You come home. I love you. Maybe God's been calling you like a mom to plant your life here and to become part of this faith family. Or maybe God's been calling you like a mom to follow Him in believer's baptism and take that public step. Whatever it is. All I know is that a mom is a picture of a facet of the love of the God of this universe. And I'm so grateful for that. Will you stand? We're going to just have a time of invitation and respond to that which God has spoken into our hearts. Father, we thank you this morning for your great love for us, Lord. And we thank you for the scripture, Lord. And we thank you for how we've seen this morning how the Apostle Paul had this specific love for the people at Galatia, Lord, that displays the love that you have for the people here this morning. Thank you for loving us in that way. So, Father, I pray now that you will take away all our fear and trepidation as we respond to you, Lord. That if, if, there's, if you're speaking to our heart, that, God, we want to respond to what you're calling us to today. So, Lord, will you just speak clearly? Will you, will you tell us why our heart is beating right now and our, why we're nervous? And it's because you're calling us, Lord. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to just thank you for the moms in our life. Thank you that you love us that way because, Lord, none of us have been perfect children. But you love us perfectly and we thank you for it. So, Lord, just help us to respond to you and whatever you're calling us to do. And we're going to give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.